Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host of this podcast. And if you haven't found us yet on a regular occurrence, you can go ahead and find us on all your regular podcast distribution sites. So please go ahead and subscribe. But today I'm here with Matt Ray, who just completed his first season as the Director of Sports Science for the New Orleans Saints, my favorite football team. He served the same position with the University of Alabama football for two years prior, and prior to that, the Indiana University for two years. Prior to the work in football, he worked as a professor of exercise and sports science, a performance consultant for the Major League Baseball, the National Basketball Association, international soccer, and Olympic teams, and owned and operated an athlete development facility. He completed a PhD at Arizona State University in exercise science, a master's degree at Arizona State, also in exercise science, and American Public University sports management, and a bachelor's degree and physical education at Southern Utah University. He grew up in Toole, Utah, and served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Chicago. He and his wife, Kelly, have five sons, ages 16 to 26 years old, and now have two daughters-in-law and two grandchildren. Well, welcome, Matt. So glad to have you today. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Well, I think that working so long in the sports sciences field and just thinking about servant leadership in general, and just this pandemic that we've dealt with for, you know, a little over two years now and, you know, just watching people suffer and, and struggle through life. One of the things that I think about is in your field is the need to identify weakness in the body and to identify it early so that it doesn't become injury. And how do you go about doing that so that you identify these high performing athletes and you help them perform at their peak performance before the body really breaks down? So the field of sports science has existed for quite a while, but one of the things that's happened in recent years is, the, is technology has given us the ability to identify markers that, that might signal things like injury risk. It's really taken off. And, and so one of the things that I do with our football players is gather data, gather information, whether it's during practices, during games, during workouts, just collecting data from different technology. Then I take data from those technologies and start to evaluate things that might predict injuries, which is, is a, an exciting opportunity for me because I'm kind of a numbers geek and I, I like statistics. And so that kind of feeds into my enjoyment of data. But just the challenge of in a very dynamic, very challenging sport like football, being able to, to identify risk issues or risk patterns. When you really kind of break, get down to the front lines of it, let's say I find something, I got to go sit in a room with an athlete that is already a very elite athlete who's reached the highest level of performance in, in the world and in his sport. And we have to talk about him having a weakness. So I think the way that it really feeds into servant leadership or some of the topics that uh, your podcast has covered is, you know, it, it starts with having a relationship with an athlete where he understands that my job is to help him to succeed, right? I'm not there trying to pinpoint problems or flaws to make him look bad or to cause him to lose his job or to miss out on playing time. I, I have to develop a relationship with him so that he understands that I'm there to help him to be healthy, to help him to reach peak performance and to, to support him in, in his career. There's a lot that goes into developing that process. But once we get to that point, then it's about developing the confidence in him to follow the steps or the approach that I then 
recommend in order to fix the flaws or the problems that we've identified to try and prevent something bad from happening. So it really is a unique case study in this idea of, of servant leadership and following the, you know, this human interaction. And I don't know that I would classify myself as an expert in any way, shape or form, but I've sure had a lot of experience in both good and bad in, in going through that process. But when it works really well, we have a lot of data that guides our decision making and our targets. And then we have good relationships with our athlete and we build a course of action together and we support the athlete as they make changes to their training or to their nutrition or to their equipment, whatever it might be, which hopefully leads to a, a safer and, and more effective playing strategy. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful thought. And none of us likes to admit we have a weakness. I mean, even if we're not the most elite athlete in the world, we don't like to admit we have a weakness in any of our fields that we're performing in. And it can be well, hard. even even worse. Think about uh, you know, these elite athletes and some geeky dude like me comes walking <laughs> in and I'm and I'm the one that's pointing out that they got that they so there has to be some humility and some acceptance on the part of the athlete and some desire to want to be better regardless of what so I, I've been very impressed with a lot of elite athletes are quick to seek help once they once you've established that relationship with them they want you to find their weaknesses because they know that you're there to help them so they're quick to seek out evidence that there's something that they can fix to get better rather than being very guarded and sensitive and protective they really open up and want us to find those things before something bad happens. And I, yeah, I think that rolls over pretty well into life and how sometimes we're very protective of our own weaknesses without wanting people to see them or to identify them. Yeah, that's so profound. First, build that relationship of trust where we know someone's there to help us. And then once we know someone is there to help us to open ourselves up to that vulnerability, to expose ourselves to that weakness. So show some humility that we can allow them to help us to get better, whatever that weakness may be and whatever our chosen field may be to point that out. Because when we have a weakness, if it becomes debilitating in your field it, with those athletes, if it becomes an injury, you know, they're not going to play. They might miss some time, maybe some significant time. They might lose their job if another athlete steps up and does better than them. If we, yeah. if our weakness becomes so debilitating, we can also lose our jobs or we can be outperformed by somebody. And in some cases, if it becomes too debilitating, even in sports or in other professions, there can be some psychological damage where we start to doubt ourselves and our ability to perform. And that can cause other ripple effects. And so it's easier to get the help early and to identify that weakness to then help it become strength. And then the interesting thing is, is that trust becomes even stronger. And our right. teams become stronger because now we've learned that we can really trust each other. And now real collaboration can happen at an even deeper level. The other time where I kind of see it happening is you would get a player who's playing well and is pretty happy with their playing level or, or they're fairly healthy, but there's things that could be done and they could be even better. And some players are just content to just play okay and get by and get going. And then there's others who they're happy with playing okay, but they want to reach their peak performance. Even if it takes a lot of effort 
for even a small amount of added payoff in terms of performance. They're willing to do whatever they need to do. And the payoff in added performance is oftentimes so worthwhile. And if they weren't willing to put forth that effort or willing to accept that direction and change in methods, then they would have never experienced that added amount of performance. So being a little bit humble and not allowing being content with being just being good generally tends to result in better performance and a much happier athlete. Yeah, I really, really like that. And last episode, Chris Marin, he talked about how sometimes the life circumstances we're in at that moment, it can create a psychological circumstance where maybe we're just not prepared to want to excel to our greatest degree. Sometimes it's it's situational that we're only accepting a certain outcome too. And so, you know, I, I think you might see this even in certain team environments where our surroundings limit our our desire to be even better. And I wonder if if there's certain players that you've seen draw, drive other players to be even better than they thought they could, or if there's coaches that push the players to be even better because, you know, they just create that environment where they inspire to a greater degree. And what does that look like? And how do we do that more in our environments? Well, Coach Saban is probably a good example of a lot of different aspects of leadership. I will say that, you know, there's the public image of Nick Saban, and usually it's the fiery losing his temper on the sideline clips that most people get to see of him. And that's definitely, that's real. That does happen. But there's just so much more that goes on in his program that I think is is very useful in, especially in areas like this. And you, you, you think you've got, he gets a lot of the best athletes in the country coming out of high school, very good recruiter. But one of his best strengths is he, he's able to take players who are very good coming out of high school and motivate them and lead them to want to be even better. And he does that by being, he's very demanding. So he sets a very, very high bar of expectation of what those players are going to do and what they need to accomplish. And it's quite amazing to me with how demanding he is of the players, with how much of a relationship most of his players have with him once they move on. And I th- there's, there's a couple of key parts to that. Number one is the expectation. It doesn't matter you know, that they're five-star recruits or that they were the best player in their state in high school that you still have you have a standard that you need to live up to and you need to do certain things that are are part of the process but a lot of the things that you don't see within his programs he talks all the time about you know college football is an avenue for these young men to create value for themselves whether it's through a college degree or whether it's through the NFL or whether it's through just learning experiences, there's value to that experience. And he wants to foster the experience so that they can create value for themselves. Now, yes, everyone understands that if players play well, he's going to continue to collect national championships. But within the program, it's not pitched like that. It's never pitched as it's and it's genuine in that you know ne- the players are never meant to feel like they're there just to help him to win another national championship they see very early on that the program is there to help them to create value for themselves 
And his role is to ensure that the program runs the way that will help to create the most value for them, which means they need to adhere to the process and they need to follow the, the standards that he, he says. And again, it's, it's incredibly demanding, but in two years that I was there, I never heard him demean an athlete, even in the, the most aggressive butt chewing that I ever heard from it. It's no, it was never demeaning. It was, it was very direct in what was, what it was done wrong and how it needed to be done right. But I never heard him demean anyone. I never heard him make personal attacks on a player. And the players that are there, I think, come to really respect how much he expects out of them, but also how much he works to ensure that they live up to the standard that he promised them when he recruited them to come to Alabama. So this that was a very good microcosm of, of leadership and sports performance that I, I've taken a lot of great lessons away from that have come with me here to New Orleans. Yeah, it's such a perfect example of what you're talking about earlier, too, about building a relationship, right? And I love this discussion about how when you build this relationship, how you can inspire someone to do even better. And I think back on some of the people that have really been inspirational in my life and how a lot of times they've pushed me to do really, really hard things, but they first built a really good relationship with me. And then they really pushed me to be even better in myself. And one of these was my stepdad and I made some really stupid mistakes in my life and he he made me do some really hard things to make up for him and I respect him to this day for it for it and because of that I'm where I am today because he pushed me harder and there's other people I could mention that all made me do really hard things to get to where I am and I don't look back and think about the people that gave me a pass or let me slough off and just kind of get the minimum done to go by. I think about the people that push me a little bit harder to become a better version of myself, but I also don't think about the people that didn't care about me. It might've right. hurt me. I think about the people that I knew cared that pushed me. And so uh, what a wonderful example. And as hard as it is for me to admit as an LSU guy, I, I love that example. So I, you know, I can say it that you, that's a good example. You must have to listen to it, you know, coming from an LSU guy, you know, it's true. So, but I, you know, and I also think that what a powerful meaning for a program, what a powerful example of servant leadership to make it about teaching these young men to learn to value themselves. That yeah. inspires me. I didn't know that about Nick Saban and his drive. And that even when he was here at LSU, I'm sure that was the same thing. And I just didn't appreciate that. And I really respect that. And that is the essence of servant leadership. And it's just such a powerful example to hear that and to think about having a program about teaching them their value and to get them to believe in that because that's what we need. We need to have someone to believe in us, but also more than that, to teach us to believe in ourselves, because that's what's going to take us to that next level. Well, sometimes we like right now I've got I've got a good staff, our strength existing staff, especially that is, is who I work closest with. And, you know, we, we've been doing our end of the year 
evaluations and I've, I have some very good coaches and the, the human tendency when you have good people is you want to protect them. You want to keep them. You don't want anybody else taking them. You know, you want, you just, you want them to stay. And so unfortunately, especially sometimes in, in the professional world, you, people are blocked from advancement or they're I even here stories of people, you know, telling other employers that they would be bad employees to block them from moving to. And it, it really, I think, diminishes the relationship with your staff, but it also creates a scenario where the staff starts to now devalue themselves. So now they start to feel like, okay, if my employer doesn't even value me, then, you know, maybe I'm not that I'm not that important. I'm not that useful. And so I think a lot of times employers and leaders and management don't want employees to understand their value because they think that then they're going to either want more money or they're going to leave for a better job. And when you really want to support your staff or you want to help them to develop, it's you tell me if you've seen different experiences, but in my experiences, it actually creates more loyalty among your staff who then say, you've helped me to understand and feel my value and I want to stay with you versus go out and find or chase other opportunities. Really, It's almost like that's something that works counter to what human nature might, might suggest. But as I tried to instill some of that with the work with my own staff, I feel like I actually get more loyalty from them because I'm trying to help them to spread their wings or to feel like they're even more valuable than they thought they were. And it certainly hasn't, hasn't worked against us. So I think those concepts really do apply out in outside of athlete to coach relationships. Oh, I totally agree. I, I couldn't agree more actually, you know, when we empower people and we give them that trust and that that's what really builds loyalty and shows them that we truly we trust them. We want them to grow. We want them to flourish, you know, kind of going back to that, you know, this whole conversation that we've been having about, you know, building this relationship of trust and then showing some vulnerability and then continuing to, to grow that trust and then to highlight some weakness and then building some more strength off of it. And then, then empowering them even more once you've done that and then giving them the reins and then allowing them to grow and then showing them that you're not afraid of them even outshining you even more. That's what really people will thrive in that environment. When you show them, I'm not afraid of your growth. I'm excited by your growth. That's what gets me up in the morning is to actually help people because people, when they go to work, they're, they sit in their little box and they just want to do the little bit that they do. And they're, they're so afraid of getting outside their, their little, you know, cubicle or their little world or they're afraid of being outshined by somebody in whatever world. And I'm sure even in sports, they get worried about losing their job, you know, or outshined by somebody. And so, you know, that competitive nature that we all have to some degree and in competitive sports, it's really competitive. And, you know, when we can show somebody that I'm here to, to help you shine even brighter, that's when people are like, oh yeah, I want to be around this person because now- yeah. Our competitiveness is not detrimental. It's that we're actually, we're in stride now yeah. and we're racing together to see who's really going to grow the best. Yeah. I, well, the, the, you know, the competitive nature of sports kind of sometimes 
shows the the worst side of humanity but there's just there's many good things about positive competitiveness and pushing ourselves to do things that maybe we didn't even know we could do or helping those around us to do things that they didn't know they they could do but one of the things that i like most about football is just the team aspect and everybody's got to contribute their part and every player on the field and every position in the organization Every everyone has to contribute their best in order for everyone to succeed. And when you don't succeed, you don't reach your goals like we didn't this year. You know, there's difficult conversations. There's evaluations that have to occur. And I appreciate it when people want to get better and do better, and but can do it, it by, while being respectful and professional and. I guess I've learned along the way that you can have difficult conversations without being difficult people. And so we're going, we're having difficult conversations right now in our organization, but luckily it's just, there's good people and they, they treat each other well and we'll get through it. I think that's important, right? Having difficult conversations without being a difficult person. That's an amazing attribute to have, right? And, you know, it's interesting. I started to research a while ago when I was looking at different doctorate programs, I was really interested in, you know, peace building and conflict resolution. And I started to make this observation that most conflict resolution was in the legal profession, but I never wanted to be a lawyer. And I started to wonder why is most conflict resolution with our lawyers? Why, why do you have to make money in the legal profession just to focus on conflict resolution. Why? And I go, no wonder we have such a hard time with conflict resolution if it's all tied to making money. And right. and it started to make a lot of sense to me why it's so hard for us to come to, to good conflict resolution. And I think that if we had a lot more people that would focus on actually, you know, in leadership coming to good conflict resolution, as opposed to, you know, just trying to hide conflict or not have these difficult conversations out in the open or learn good communication skills, I think that we would have the realization that actually discussing these things in the open would lead to a lot better outcomes than what we normally do in a lot of different organizations, which is either hiding from them, hoping that people yeah. will just leave or, or you know, making hard decisions in, in a vacuum. And then what it does is it creates fear with other people. And then even our good performers, they start performing not as good because now they're performing out of fear and we've yep. taken that psychological safety away from them. And so we've created an environment where their performance now is hindered by their psychological atmosphere, not just their performance. Yeah. Well, another funny Nick Saban story is sometimes a lot, we're so fearful sometimes of just taking responsibility and admitting that we made a mistake and and just learning from it and moving on and i remember he was very upset in the staff meeting over something just giving us the the rundown and one of the assistant coaches as he was telling he said hey that was my fault i i, I messed that up uh, I learned from, I, I'll, I'll get this right. Uh, that was my mistake. And I was, I was very impressed with his willingness to speak up and accept the responsibility for making a mistake in the heat of battle, literally the heat of battle, uh, with Nick Saban bearing down on it. And boy, coach saved to stop. He's, he, that stop, that ended it. That was all he needed to hear was somebody accepted the responsibility and totally changed the rest of the meeting, totally changed the, like there was no more conflict. There was, 
so I learned a lot that sometimes we just, we need to be brave enough to just accept. He didn't fire the guy. He didn't punish the guy who just, he accepted the responsibility. Coach acknowledged that he knew that and it was not, it was done, moved on. And that, that was that. So, so sometimes we just can't be fearful of accepting responsibility and, and getting on with business. Yeah. And that goes back to that relationship, right? That relationship of trust. He showed some vulnerability and he allowed him to grow. But when we hide our vulnerability, that usually creates a different issue. That's yeah. what people don't like. When, you know, when we hide stuff, that creates different issues. But when we're willing to step up to the table and show a little bit of vulnerability in that moment of trust, that I think you're right. That's when we can move forward. Okay. Now we know what the issue is so we can address it. And that's what people want to see. Yep. Oh, great stuff, Matt. I love it. All right. Now let's talk about one of our favorite Saints players a little bit. You know, he's, he's had a few injuries, you know, Taysom Hill, he's, he's just a great athlete, but he continues to show such resilience. What do you learn from Taysom's resilience, you know, continuing to go out there day in and day out after injuries? And how can we learn to kind of harness that resilience in our organizations the way he has to continue to approach football? Well, if, if, any, if any of you have felt the pain and, and suffering of, of injury, just the physical challenge of dealing with surgery or, or dealing with a, a, an injury healing, it, it just I, I have a lot of respect for, for these guys and that that's a very physical sport. And with by the third practice of training camp, pretty much everybody's dealing with something. And, and so just good physical and mental resiliency is on display every day. But, you know, just the, the day to day aches and pains is one thing. But, you know, when, when you experience a season ending or a, a lengthy injury, just the day to day stress of, and, and frustration of, going through physical therapy and dealing with it when, and when you have something that has a nine month rehab, you just came off last year off of a Lynch Frank surgery and that's a nine month rehab, but it's a, it's a, it's over a year of full recovery time. So when you go through that process, he, he had that happen five or six years ago, he got through it and then has it happened again two years ago. Once you've gone through it once and you know what the process is like and how strenuous it is and how long it is, how painful it is every day to get up and, you know, go to work and do your rehab and go through that process to, to get back. It's physically difficult, but mentally just such a, a great example of resiliency of dealing with the frustrations. You know, I, I know many athletes uh, that deal with depression that comes when they're going through the recovery process. And that's just, it's a difficult process for them to go through. And one of the great things about Taysom, I don't think I've ever seen him without a smile on his face. It's, we, we play a very demanding, very difficult sport. And he's just, he's always smiling. He's always happy. He's just, he come in after a really difficult game or after it, it just, his demeanor is very positive. And I'm sure sometimes it's just, he, I don't know that he feels that inside, but it, that's just how he expresses him himself and how he should. So it, that's very uplifting to, to everybody around him. In return, I think you, you have to 
supply him with some energy. You have to give him some support and some optimism. And he had a, a rib injury this year, but he got through this year with relatively unscathed. And so it, it, you, you just, you have to feed, feed some optimism. And, but, you know, the, the thing that I have taken away the most from those types of things, we go through life and a lot of our problems are serious problems compared to maybe a, a sprained ankle or a broken rib or, but the physical and the psychological responses to stress and to sadness and to pain, it's, it's all there. And just that outlook on life of just being more positive and accepting the challenges of our work and of our lives and knowing that eventually we'll get through those things and we have people around us to help us through it and keeping the end goal in mind of the good things that that come to us once we get through them is is something that I think he would be happy that I'm sharing with you. Yeah, I love that thought. I love that thought and you know there's one thing I wanted to talk about him as well and I'm going to hold that thought for a minute because I love this kind of sidebar you went on about how these injuries these football players go through they cause um, them to go through these moments of kind of sadness or depression and you know I want to pause there and kind of dwell on this for a minute because in our world today we're becoming more accepting of mental health issues and I really want to stop and talk about this because I want people in their whatever vocation that you're in to realize that all of us have these moments where we hit these walls, where we hit these things that are just really tough, really hard to go up against. Even these, these high-performing professional athletes, they have these moments where they can't do what they love. They can't go out and perform to do these things that they've, they've really practiced hard to do, and they really want to go out and play. And, you know, you, you really you have to watch other people play, and I'm sure that's just amazingly challenging and to do the what you do day in and day out and to go in and rehab and to maybe not make the progress you wanted or whatnot. And and all of us, we go in or you you might go day in, day out and just feel like you're not making any progress. And that's okay. That's okay to feel like you're just not feeling good. You're not feeling up to the level you want and find someone to talk to about it. You know, like, like those players got Coach Ray, they probably got other people on that coaching staff to talk to about it. And that's what they're there for, to help them, not just with their physical body, but to make sure they're performing at the highest level mentally because they want those players to succeed because they want that football team to win. And your organization wants you to win as well. So take the time to find the people to talk to so you can perform at your peak performance for whatever job you're performing. If you're unloading boxes from UPS, I did that job. It's the toughest job I ever had. So if you're struggling with it, it's tough. So find someone to talk to about it. And I just wanted to stop and talk about that. And I, Coach, if you got anything you want to add to that, I'd love to hear from it too, because I know that we need to take time to appreciate that life can be hard. I think it's normal. It's not abnormal. It happens. I do think it's getting more and more common for us to talk about it, to be open about it. Not just like uh, I, I think mental health in general, but you know, understanding that mental health has a, a continuum that it doesn't. We're not always just talking about things like clinical depression or severe anxiety that might require 
medication or, or clinical intervention, all of which we try very hard to make sure our athletes feel comfortable asking for that help and that we give them the resources that they need to get that help. But just having a bad day or having a bad week, it's, it's may not be something that we would consider to be clinical depression, but those are things that we want to intervene with as quickly as possible so that a bad week doesn't turn into a bad month and then a bad month turns into a bad season. It's important enough to us to try to get things right as fast as possible. So even just the minor things in life that get us off track, I just, I think we need to be more comfortable bringing those things up. We need to be more intent on building the, the circle around us that can support us in those things. And uh, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's coworkers, whether it's church, wh- wherever that support system is, we need to be mindful of the team of people around us that we can rely on when we need that kind of help. And then in return, we need to be the, the, the support system for, for people who might need our help when the time comes that they need that help. So it's, I, I really do think it's becoming more and more accepted and more and more common for us to worry about those things in the sporting world. And I hope that that crosses over to, to society in general. Thanks for that. That was beautifully said. I appreciate that. Now, the, one of the things I've learned from watching Taysom Hill, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well, is that he is so good at doing whatever's asked of him on the football field, whatever's needed, whatever's asked of him, he's just happy to do it. And, and kind of like you said, he's always, he looks like he's always just ready to do whatever is needed. And I just find that from a servant leader aspect, so refreshing. And I thought, what, you know, what are your thoughts on that? What can we learn from that, from our approach to our own organizations and our own approach to life? Um, So he, I'm a little biased because he's he's one of my favorite players as well. So uh, I, I will say that on this podcast. But uh, I think a lot of the, our fans really, really like him. So he, I would consider him to be a fan favorite. But he does a lot of things that most fan favorites will not do, like blocking on the punt team. Um, most fan favorites are not blocking on the punt team. Now there's, it's not the most glamorous job and, but there's a reason he does it because he, there's certain fakes that he can do that is why he's out there, but most guys would refuse to do it. He doesn't, he's, he's willing to do things that despite the fact that he is a superstar, that he's willing to do things that, a lot of other superstars would consider to be below him. I wouldn't say that he has, that he finds all of it to be really fun, but he's willing to do all of it. And he, I have heard him say numerous times that if that's what I need to do to help our team win, then that's what I'm going to do. Uh, that's just, that's why I'm, that's what I got to do. It's part of being on a team. And if, my skill set needs to be used that way, then that's just how, how it goes. That's what I have. So accepting the responsibility to use our skill sets to help our team to be successful, regardless of our position, 
regardless of what we think we should be doing, is an important life lesson, I think, for industry in general or life in general. And he just has a really great way of putting that smile on his face and, and acting like he loves to do it all, even if sometimes inside he, he's not really all that thrilled to, to do it. But if you watch him play, once he gets playing, it's he gets so much joy out of just doing something that he really loves. So even tasks that aren't always that glamorous, he gets a lot of joy out of it. So uh, it's fun to watch and it's fun to watch up close. I love that thought. Thanks for those thoughts. And uh, the invitation I want to leave with our listeners today is for this episode is just to find a way to help those around you believe more in themselves. And I think Coach Matt has done that because his sons, a couple of his sons have helped take on his family business and as he's gone on to coach. So he's done that in one way or another, but I'm going to even ask coach Matt to do that in more ways too. So as we wrap up today, any final thoughts, Matt, to share with our listeners before we close up today? Well, I just, I appreciate your resources. Self-improvement is something that I think is a lifelong process. And I know as we talked a little beforehand that taking the time and effort to do a podcast and organize some information for self-improvement's good for all of us. And I've enjoyed listening to the episodes. And it's a very good topic of study for me and hope that it's of value to, to everybody that's listened and hope you continue doing it. Well, thanks, Coach. I'm glad to have you as one of my listeners. And thanks all of you for listening. And please share and rate and review the podcast. And thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership and have a wonderful day. 